Coming up, we're going to talk the Diamondbacks' huge win over the LA Dodgers, and then I got a fun little game, power ranking the most trustworthy and least trustworthy D-backs, all coming for you next. You are Locked on Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked on Diamondbacks podcast. You're part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day listening to who? Miller Thomas, the always charismatic host of this podcast. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer. So please go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account, or just look up Locked On Diamondbacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, thank you for making Locked On Diamondbacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms, so please, please, please continue to tell your friends. But as I mentioned, we got to break down that huge D-backs win over the LA Dodgers. And then in segment number two and number three, I have a fun little game for you guys, power ranking the top three most trustworthy D-backs in segment two, and then power ranking the top three least trustworthy D-backs in segment number three. And those two segments were recorded during the game. So anything that happened during the game um, does not affect those segments. So just a little FYI. So let's talk about tonight's game because it's 10, 18 p.m. I need to eat dinner. I'm getting hungry, but this game, this this was this was a fun one because this did not feel like a game that the D-backs were going to win. I mean, the later we got into the game, we we're still tied. The chances of the D-backs winning was probably going up. But for most of this game, it felt like the Dodgers at some point were going to turn it on, come through with one of those scoring opportunities. But they were never able to do that because the story of this game was the defense for the D-backs mostly and also the defense or lack thereof for the Dodgers because... For the D-back side, they turned a season-high five double plays tonight. Perdomo was making incredible plays at third base. I don't think he's going to stay at third base once Josh Rojas comes back, but you know what? I think he should be the everyday shortstop over Nick Ahmed. I mean, he gets on base. He doesn't hit for average, but he at least gets on base. He's athletic, and defensively, he looks just as good. So I'm taking Perdomo over Nick Ahmed. Got to go with a young talent. I mean, how could you not? And when you look at all those double plays, no double play was bigger than that one in the eighth inning because Ian Kennedy came in the game like a man possessed, like a man determined to blow the game because it was still a tie game. It was a 3-3 game, but Ian Kennedy came in like he wanted to blow it because he gives up a hit to Freeman and Justin Turner to create this second and third with one out because he struck out uh, Trey Turner in between those two guys. And luckily, uh, luckily, we have Brent Strom because he came out, he gave a quick pep talk to Ian Kennedy, and I don't know what those pep talks do, but I tweeted out after I saw Brent Strom come in and give him a pep talk. I tweeted out that this was going to induce a ground ball, and look at what happened as soon as the pep talk was over. Kennedy was all of a sudden bestowed with magical powers from Brent Strom, and he gets the double play from Will Smith. The D-backs barely escaped the inning. I'm thinking 
this game is going to extras and we can probably win on everyone's favorite rule once we get to extra innings. We all know the runner on second rule. So I was thinking, all right, the eighth inning just ended. The D-back just got hold on a little longer and then they could kind of get a BS win out of this. But guess what? I'm still going to be a happy camper. A win's a win. But they didn't need that because Cooper Hummel starts the eighth inning with a walk. He's been great at drawing walks all season. 19.5% walk percentage entering the game. David Peralta comes up to the plate after him. He smokes a slider in a 1-1 count for the lead. 104 miles per hour off the bat. A complete bomb, a complete rocket by David Peralta. And after that, the game felt like it basically ended because I blinked and the ninth inning was over. It only took Melanson seven pitches, six strikes to get out of the ninth and pick up the save. Defense and David are definitely the first two talking points on how the D-backs won this game. And there were some other defensive highlights in this game. Don't get me wrong. Defense and David were the two talking points. But there were also many other defensive highlights in this game that we have to at least talk about. Because if you want to talk about defense and David, how about David playing defense? Because he threw out Chris Taylor when he just got kind of caught sleeping on the bases and doubled him up. Dalton Varsho, there was a 104-mile-an-hour heater off the bat of Justin Turner, and Dalton Varsho just tracked it down in center field like it was a routine fly ball. Trey Turner got caught stealing. The defense was great tonight, and it needed to be great because Zach Davies, he ran into trouble early in this game. I mean, he was basically running into trouble every inning. Not basically. He was running into trouble every inning of this game. He got himself into a classic 2-1 with 2-out situation in the first inning and wasn't able to get out of it. He eventually loaded the bases and gave up a bases-clearing double to Will Smith. So when you saw him in the eighth inning, you're like, is Will Smith going to kill us twice in one game with the bases loaded? But thankfully, they got the double play in the eighth inning, but they weren't able to get the double play in the first inning to help out Zach Davies. But they got a lot of double plays after that because Davies started the second inning with two singles. Thankfully, the D-backs defense got a double play to get out of that. He walked Trey Turner to start the to start the third, but he got caught stealing that inning, and he started the fourth with a walk as well. Davies was putting men on the bases to start every inning, so just very sloppy start by Davies. He really struggled to throw strikes in this one, and I think the Dodgers lineup probably just had him shook. I mean, he probably looks at that team on paper. He looks at the tally. He's like, "Eh, I, I don't really know if I have it, but he's a major leaguer, so he probably toughs it out, but Davies, his final line, like, it just, it, it wasn't terrible, his final line, but Four innings pitch, three earned runs, four walks, 38 strikeouts on 77 pitches. Just not a great final line by Davies. He never looked comfortable in that game, but his defense really bailed him out. But unfortunately for the Dodgers starter, Tony Gonsolin, his defense didn't bail him out because the D-backs got the biggest break of the year, I think, in my opinion, when Gavin Luck just messed up that routine grounder, like Varsho just hit a routine grounder to him, is for some reason Gavin Lux's brain broke and he wasn't able to make the five foot throw to first base. It scores two by the D backs. And then Haven Smith, I see you came up and clutched it out up the middle single to increase those runners and scoring position numbers for this D-backs team this season. So a real RBI single for Paven Smith. The two runs before that were kind of BS. It was off of Gavin Lux error, but the Dodgers defense was not very good tonight, and it was a big reason why the D-backs won tonight, and the D-backs defense is the main reason they won, followed by David Peralta, so great win by the D-backs tonight, and hopefully we could do it again tomorrow so we could get a series win over the LA Dodgers, but 
One thing that could help the D-backs with their recovery process is Athletic Greens because our next partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because I want to live a healthier lifestyle. I try to go to the gym every day, but sometimes it's hard to get all the nutrients you need. But AG1 helps me get all the vitamins and nutrients I need to meet my daily criteria because, listen... What is this stuff? Let's get into it. So with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all of those things. It's lifestyle-friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, it's perfect for every lifestyle. It costs less than $3 a day. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D, and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash MLB Network. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash MLB Network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Thank you for making Lockdown Dimebacks your first listen every day. For your next listen, check out the Lockdown Now podcast, recaps of MLB games with analysis from our local experts, taking fans through the season like no other network, free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Lockdown Diamondbacks podcast. As you guys already know, I'm recording this part during the game. And what I want to discuss is I want to do power rankings. The most trustworthy D-backs through the first two and a half weeks of the season. And segment number two, which is this segment, of course, I'm going to do the most trustworthy D-backs. The top three, I got a reliever, a position player, and a starter. And then segment number three, we're going to wrap it up with the top three least trustworthy D-backs. And that's not a starter, reliever, position player. I got... Three straight position players that you guys might be able to guess who that is. Maybe not. Maybe you should put your guesses down or, uh, you know, write it down. And then, you know, we'll see at the end of the pod if you got it right. You know, you could play a little game with yourself at home. But we're going to start off with the most trustworthy D-backs player so far through the first two and a half weeks of the season. This is just my own personal criteria. Just gut calls who I feel the most trust with when I see them on the mound, at the plate, where does my trust lie? Number three, this is someone who I did not expect to be on this list before the season started. This was a nobody to me. If you asked me if this guy's on the roster for the D-backs, I would have said, I don't even know if this guy's in Major League Baseball. And that is Kyle Nelson. Now, it did come down to either him or like a Paven Smith or Matt Tipply for this number three spot on this list. And I gave it to Kyle Nelson because I think he's been in slightly tougher situations than Matt Tipply this season in terms of the leverage situations that Kyle Nelson has seen. And what do you think of how the D-backs acquired, you know, the Nelsons and the Mantiplies, like, it's really Mike Hayes and working around the edges because we know the Davinskys and the Joaquin Sorias and, you know, the past their prime pitchers that Mike Hazen likes to target 
in free agency hasn't worked out. But when he goes, uh, you know, after these guys off the waiver wire or just the the scrap heap relievers, he's been able to find some hidden gems. And he did that with Noah Ramirez, Mantiply, and Kyle Nelson. So you'd like to see that from Mike Hazen that he's able to hit on some of these hidden gems with these uh, relievers in the bullpen. And Kyle Nelson's one of those guys because you look at his traditional stats on the season. I'm sorry, I'm looking at some giant moth trying to get into my house. But Kyle Nelson, 0.0 ERA. In six outings, a .75 whip, a 2.31 FIP, and a 29% strikeout rate. Insane by Kyle Nelson. You check his stat cast stats, where he falls in certain percentiles. Nelson, 88th percentile in expected ERA and expected batting average, and then 95th percentile in chase rate and expected slugging percentage. Those are absolutely insane stats for someone who was just released by his team. And, you know, he's he's in his mid-20s, like 25, 26. And the Guardian said, we don't want this guy. We're just going to DFA him. And the D-backs were able to pick him up. And he's been a revelation for this team so far this season. Two-thirds of his outings have either been in medium or high-leverage situations. And in two of the outings, he's come in with... Two runners on each time, so four inherited runners total. And he hasn't allowed any of those inherited runners to score, which you love as a starter because I don't think there's probably anything more frustrating as a starting pitcher than when you leave a game, maybe you have two on, but you went you know five and two-thirds. You only gave up two earned runs. Yeah, you left two on the bases, but there's also two outs, and then that reliever comes in and gives up a three-run bomb, and now it's like a 5.2 inning pitch day with four earned runs, and your ERA goes up. A crap ton. Kyle Nelson is every starter's best friend. And think about this. 33% of the play appearances that Kyle Nelson pitches to batters end up in an 0-2 count. Think about how much of that uh, of an advantage that is. Go look at any baseball player you want. Mike Trout, Juan Soto, Prime Miguel Cabrera. When those guys are behind in the count, their numbers are drastically worse. And that's not a surprise. It's not a hot take or anything, but it's like below 500 OPS for pretty much every star when they have two strikes or behind in the count. Their OPS goes to like above 1100 when they're above, you know, when they're ahead in the count. So not to only have, you know, two strikes in the count, but to be 0-2, the pressure you feel as a batter, Kyle Nelson sets himself up really well. He's on the mound. I think he's looked super confident whenever he's come in. He seemed locked in. And he's basically one of the only few pitchers on this entire staff where Brent Strom doesn't have to pull out his little, you know, steps calculator because he doesn't have to walk out there on the mound and have a little pep talk with Kyle Nelson because Nelson has been phenomenal the whole season. He's got two holds and two wins, has never allowed an inherited run to score, as I've said before. Great start to the season by Colin Nelson. He's been really impressive, and I'll put the newbie at number three on my most trustworthy rankings. Number two, we got another newbie, another, but this is a true rookie. I don't think Colin Nelson's a true rookie. This is a true rookie. That is Seth Beer. The numbers drop with every game Seth Beer plays, which is, you know, nothing surprising. It's still very early in the season, but he's been a huge cog to I think at least three D-backs wins this season and I've detailed this before the first game of the season against the San Diego Padres I mean how can you not say he was a huge cog in that win he literally had a walk-off home run when it felt like the D-backs were going to get shut out with like two hits the game against the Astros the game against the Astros that went to extra innings before that Ketel Marte walk-off sack fly Seth Beer I think had the single to tie up the game and then in that 11 run outburst against the New York Mets our biggest outburst of the season. Seth Beer had like three or four hits in that game. He had like three RBIs. Like he was huge in that game. So I think Seth Beer has been responsible for at least three D-backs wins this season. He's still entering Tuesday's game against the LA Dodgers, batting 326 with an 882 OPS, 
third best strikeout percentage on the team, and a walk percentage above league average at 11%, hard hit percentage at 45% on batted balls, and exit velocity around 91 miles per hour. His hard contact stats are very nice, and Tori Lavello has finally stopped benching Seth Beer. It doesn't matter who's on the mound, lefty or righty. Seth Beer is finally playing every day unless he's got to get a day of rest. But again, he's playing DH. What does he really need a rest for? And I like him in the middle of the batting order right behind Christian Walker as a nice one-two punch. I got my power hitting righty and my power hitting lefty right next to each other in the batting order. I like that a lot just visually. Seth Beer, whether it's a... Uh, let, me, let me get this story out. If it's a... If we're in the ninth inning, two outs, two on, right now... I don't think there's a player I would trust more coming up to the plate than Seth Beer. He's proved it time and time again this season. Like I've already said, he's responsible for three D-backs wins this season. So Seth Beer is definitely the most trustworthy position player among D-backs so far this season. But who has been the most trustworthy starter? I think you have to go at number one, Merrill Kelly. I think he's arguably the most reliable starter in baseball right now. A 1-6-9 ERA, so no longer the league uh, leader, but he's still probably top five if I excuse me, look up the stats, 198 FIP, 22 strikeouts and 21.2 innings pitch. His fastball is up a tick from last year. He doesn't use the sinker ball as much. He uses the changeup more now. The sinker ball was like his second most used pitch last season. Now it's his fourth. His changeup was the fourth most used pitch last season. Now it's his second. So he just kind of switched it up a little bit. It was more of his hard stuff to the inside of righties while going down and away with the off-speed stuff to lefties. But it's worked out for him. He hasn't allowed a home run yet this season, which has been really impressive. I think if he continues on this track record, not a hot take at all. I think he will be an all-star this season. And I think he will also finish top five in Cy Young voting. If he continues to pitch like this, which is one of the best pitchers in baseball, yeah, he's going to be an all-star. and He's going to be one of the top pitchers in Cy Young voting. So Merrill Kelly, easily the most trustworthy D-back right now. But how about some honorable mentions? Dalton Varsho, the bat's heating up. He's tapping into that power. He's making spectacular defensive plays. But he still really hasn't had a multi-hit game. It's a lot of one-for-four nights. So there's still another level that Dalton Varsho could tap into. David Smith was dangerously close to making number three on this list. He's been swinging a hot bat. But... When I watch his defense, it's just so bad. I know whenever there's the ball to right field, I don't have any trust that Paven Smith can make a strong throw to just a second baseman to cut down a double. So even though he's been really good at the plate, the defense still leaves me a little worried. So it's probably my hesitation for not putting him third. Man, tip line, I just think he didn't. I don't think he's been in as tough situations as Kyle Nelson. That's really my only reason. And then Zach Gallen, he just hasn't pitched enough. Only two starts under his belt. By the time he gets to his third and fourth start, he probably will crack this list. I mean, he's Zach Allen. There's, you know, inherently in terms of equity, there's not a guy or a pitcher I trust more than Zach Allen, you know, in this entire pitching staff. But if aliens were to watch the season and they were just watching D-backs baseball, and this is the, the only time they watched D-backs baseball was through this first two weeks of the season, I think they were clearly saying Merrill Kelly's the most reliable starter on this D-back staff. But, you know, Zach Allen, with what we've seen the last couple of years, it's not a surprise if you want to say Zach Allen is the most trustworthy D-backs player. He just hasn't pitched like that yet, but I think he will. I mean, he has pitched like that. He just doesn't have the sample size, really. So once he gets the sample size, he probably will crack this most trustworthy D-backs list. And maybe we'll update this, you know, once a month or something like that to see how we're feeling with the most trustworthy D-backs, you know, in their lineup and in this pitching staff right now. But we also got to talk about the least trustworthy D-backs. But one thing that is trustworthy for me every day 
is Bill Bar because this is the time of year that I've pretty much given up on all my New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right thanks to Bill Bar. And it almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I actually enjoy eating them. And have you tried the puffs? They're protein infused with marshmallow, they're fluffy, they're delicious. And like all Bill Bars, they're covered in 100% real chocolate, soft, and easy to chew. And get this, the reason why I love Built Bar is because they're healthy. You think that you're eating a dessert or a candy bar, but no, in reality, you're actually eating a protein bar. Low in calorie, low in sugar, high in protein, high in fiber, great for that keto diet. If you want your own Built Bar, just go to Built.com. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off your next order. Promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the podcast and let's do the least trustworthy D-backs right now. And number three on this list, I think you guys could guess maybe the top two. It's all position players because I think most of the untrustworthiness is from the lineup. Like the pitching staff has been good. The D-backs have one of the best rotations in baseball. The bullpen can be up and down, but they're starting to um, cut down the bullpen because before we get to the trustworthy rankings, we no longer have to deal with the Oliver Perez headache. I'm glad the D-backs woke up. I'm glad I don't have to see any more outings or any more pitches thrown. Like Oliver Perez was so bad. He was a great story. I love the idea of him almost retiring to the Mexican League and, and Mike Hazen called him and said, hey, Come out of retirement. We'll give you one more season, one final dance like Michael Jordan. And Alvaro Perez was like, sure, I'll come to Arizona. It's a great place to retire anyway. And he looked good in that first game against the San Diego Padres. I don't think he gave up any earned runs. But ever since that first game, Alvaro Perez has been terrible this season for the D-backs. Four innings pitch, seven earned runs, a 15.75 ERA, 18 hits per nine innings, a 2.25 whip. He's bottom 4% or worse, an expected batting average, expected slugging percentage, and strikeout rate. Alvaro Perez, I'm sorry, you are not good anymore, which is not a surprise. He's pitched for like 25 years. He's 40 years old. He had a good run. Sadly, we need to give the opportunities to younger guys, so I'm glad to see the D-backs made a a smart decision and got rid of Alvaro Perez. But now, let's get into our least trustworthy power rankings. Number three. Sergio Alcantara, and I'm sorry, Sergio, because you have shown flashes this season, shown a little sprinkle at the plate, mostly at the uh, third base side. You've shown some real flashes. You've been making some diving stops and throwing across your body and gunning out dudes. But for every spectacular play you make, you make a, a little mistake on those routine ones. And that's why I can't love you, Sergio. It's the reason why I can't trust you because you're too up and down for me. And You've basically been a non-factor at the plate. So if I can't really trust you in the, you know, at third base on the diamond, three errors, and I can't trust you at the plate, then I just can't trust you at all. Four hits and 30 at bats, eight strikeouts to just one roll, eight strikeouts to just one walk. Hard contact stats are non-existent. 0 for 8 this season with runners in scoring position. He will have no reason to be on this team once Josh Rojas is healthy. I would not be surprised if he got DFA'd or I don't know if he's got any options left, but I would not expect him to really be a bench guy once Josh Rojas comes back. I think they'll probably just keep Perdomo, and if they want, they got Drew Ellis still uh, in the minor leagues. I still think they got Yanni Hernandez down 
down there as well. So there's better options than Alcantara, I think, once Rojas comes back healthy. So he's number three on my least trustworthy rankings. Number two, now we get a little controversial. I got Quetzal Marte, who we discussed a lot on last night's pod. Typically, he would be the most trustworthy D-back position player, and it would not even be a question. But this season, it's a big question because it's a big concern with how Quetzal Marte has looked so far this season. This is his stat line so far this season. A 156 average, a 460 OPS, 19 strikeouts to just four walks. Where is the Ketel Marte we know and love? Hard hit percentage on batter balls is his lowest since his first year in Arizona. Worst contact percentage of his career. 0 for 10 this season with runners in scoring position. Just think about that. Ketel Marte last season was like damn near 1,000 with runners in scoring position. The dude raked whenever men were on the bases. And this season, he I don't know what it is with Ketel Marte, but he just not looked good at the plate or in the diamond. His expected stats are also disgusting. I just don't see the confidence with Ketel Marte. He's got that Luke Weaver look on his face right now. He's doing a lot of the half swings at the plate that we saw, you know, in that game, in the first game of the series against the LA Dodgers. It just doesn't, I don't know, the yips, I don't know what you want to call it, but he's in a prolonged slump, both at second base and at the plate. And we need Ketel Marte like I talked about, like I talked about on yesterday's pod. This offense is not going Anywhere without Ketel Marte, the dude has been a superstar. The dude has the 20-plus home run power. He can hit you 300-plus average. If you like WRC+, plus, he does that well. Every advanced stat, hard contact stat, expected stat, doesn't matter what the stat is. If you look at 2019, 2021, Ketel Marte was probably top five on that list. But if you look at any stat you want this season, Ketel Marte might be bottom five on that list. But... If the D-backs continue to tank and this season continues to suck for them, well, you really don't have to worry about the D-backs at least trading Ketel Marte because if he continues to struggle and the D-backs struggle as well, his value will be too low to trade. So a little silver lining to the Ketel Marte struggles. Always got to find a positive when you can. Then the least trustworthy D-back so far this season. If you know I went with Ketel Marte at number two, then you could probably guess who's number one on this list. That is Carson Kelly. We talked about these two players on yesterday's pod because they continued to struggle in game one against the L.A. Dodgers. And I really got hit home about how they're the least trustworthy D-backs right now because seriously, like, you saw Ketel Marte in game two against the L.A. Dodgers. He was dropped in the lineup because he's been so untrustworthy. And Carson Kelly's batting behind Ketel Marte, so... It's not like, uh, so both of those guys, I don't know where I was trying to go with that, but both of those guys have struggled big time and... This is where I wanted to go with Carson Kelly. He didn't enter this year. It wasn't like a make-or-break season for Carson Kelly entering the year like a Luke Weaver, who had a ton of pressure. I was saying before the season started, this is a make-or-break year for Luke Weaver. Like, can he really be a frontline starter with Brent Strom, or is he just going to be a back-end starter? Or now that we see, it's just going to be an oft-injured you know, reliever, maybe. Carson Kelly... I think he showed more flashes than Luke Weaver, so I think there's, I think that's part of the reason why there's not as much pressure on a Carson Kelly as opposed to Luke Weaver entering the season. Also, the positional value of Carson Kelly playing catcher as opposed to Luke Weaver as a starter. There's just not as many good offensive catchers in baseball. So with the flashes that Carson Kelly showed in 2019, 2021, you're like, hey, if he just gets back to those levels, you'll be happy with Carson Kelly. With Luke Weaver, you want him to hit, uh, you know, probably an untainable ceiling, but Carson Kelly. 
his ceiling felt a little bit more attainable. So I think that's one of the reasons why he didn't have as much pressure on him entering the season. But even with that being said, there was still an expectation level with Carson Kelly because with Luke Weaver, you're like, I don't know what I'm going to get from Luke Weaver. But from Carson Kelly, I was like, yeah, probably bad around 260, around 18 home runs, probably 70, probably around 70 plus RBIs. But it doesn't look like he's going to hit any of those numbers this season. He is only batting 103. That's his average. A 275 OPS, 14 strikeouts to just one walk. No RBIs on the season, just one extra base hit. It's insane what Carson Kelly has done at the plate this year because it has not been good, and he's not this bad of an offensive player. I don't understand why him and Ketel Marte are struggling so much. At least with Marte, I could grasp for a reason of maybe he's putting pressure on himself after the new contract or something like that. But with Carson Kelly, I don't know what it is, like I said. It wasn't a make-or-break season with Carson Kelly. I don't know why he's struggling so much, but he's going to turn it into a make-or-break season if he continues to struggle because fans are probably going to be upset with the development of Carson Kelly, and I don't know what's going to happen, but he needs to pick it back up because you don't want to see your young player uh, stall in their development. And, you know, can you say he's gotten worse every year since 2019? I think he was better in 2021. Definitely wasn't good in 2020, but... If you're like 2019, 2021, we're good for Carson Kelly, but 2020, 2022, we're bad. It makes you wonder what kind of player he is. So I would like to see Carson Kelly pick it back up because right now he's bottom three percentage or worse in extra base in expected batting average, expected slugging percentage, and weighted on base average. Weighted on base average, I believe that's what that is. Waba, you guys probably know what Waba is. He's also bottom 8% in strikeout percentage and walk percentage. Most of his struggles at the plate, I think, I don't even know what they stem from. I, I think I was supposed to have a note here. I said, literally in my notes, it says most of his struggles are at the plate, or at least, and then there's just nothing left there. So I, I don't know why he's struggling, honestly, at the plate. I can only tell you what the numbers say, but I don't really have a reason as to why he's struggling. 83%. He's in the 83 percentile in framing this season. Oh, I think this is what I want to say. Most of Carson Kelly's struggles are at the plate, at least. Defensively, Carson Kelly has been very solid this season. I don't know why my brain couldn't pick up what I wrote down earlier, but this is the this is where I want to drive this train. Carson Kelly has struggled big time offensively at the plate, but 83rd percentile in framing this season. No errors behind the plate. He's been very good defensively so far this season for the D-backs. So that is a positive. It's a big reason why the D-backs can keep him in the lineup every day. And also when your rotation is pitching well, the catcher is going to get a lot of credit. So good job by Carson Kelly as an effective catcher. We just need him to be an offensive catcher if, the D if this D-backs offense wants to pop as it starts to heat up in Arizona. But some honorable mentions for... Uh, for at least trustworthy D-backs, it looks like I only have one down, and that is Jake McCarthy. I mean, I guess you could go with a whole bunch of guys, but put down Jake McCarthy just because offensively he's done nothing this season. I trust him as a defensive player, but offensively he gives you absolutely nothing so far. So I have him down as an honorable mention for at least trustworthy D-backs, and there's probably uh, a few other guys you guys can name. Alvar Perez would have been number one on this list, but like I said, thankfully... The D-backs DFA'd him uh, before this series against the LA Dodgers. But that's it for this edition of the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. Thank you for making Locked on D-backs your first listen every day. Go make your second listen of the day, Locked on MLB, with my pal and hopefully your pal, Sully Baseball. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm trying to get one of the Lockdown Dodgers guys to come on the pod tomorrow with me and do a crossover since the game is so early, but it seems like they don't want to cross over with the boys, so we'll see what happens, but we'll definitely be breaking down that game against the LA Dodgers. Maybe we'll preview the next series as well. So you got to come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks News coverage and insight to find out what we're discussing. But as always, stay safe and stay healthy. Deuces!